Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We are studying the book of Daniel. We are still in Daniel chapter 7. We're looking at the four beasts found in this chapter. Daniel chapter 7 has been termed the center of gravity for the entire book of Daniel. And so we're spending a bit of time here because if we get Daniel 7 right, a lot of the future chapters in Daniel are so confusing that you'll just be entirely lost in the details. But if you get the main points correct in Daniel 7, then you'll get a handle of what the book is trying to teach. Let me just give you a quick three-point outline for Daniel 7. The first eight verses of Daniel 7 describe Daniel's vision of four world empires. And then the second section, which we've actually already covered, verses 9 through 14, talk about the kingship of Jesus Christ, his enthronement after he ascended into heaven as king of kings and lord of lords. And then the last third of the chapter, verses 15 to 28, gives an interpretation of what Daniel saw in his dream vision in the first part of the chapter. So, you have the dream vision, then you have, these are four wicked world empires which stand against the kingdom of God. In the center, the meat, is the enthronement of the everlasting kingdom of which Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Starting off in Daniel 7, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, who are these four beasts? Because in our next episode, you're going to see that there's a, a, a wicked ruler that focuses the very end uh, of Daniel chapter 7's attention, but how you interpret who this wicked ruler is is going to depend on how you count the ancient empires in world history. So there's two ways, basically, interpreters take this. I want to give you both, and I'll repeat this again in our next episode. But the first way to count the four beasts is this way. There's Babylon, number one, Media, number two, Persia, number three, and Greece, number four. Okay? And if you count that way, basically, you come up with the evil Antiochus Epiphanes as the Antichrist figure at the end of Daniel chapter 7. Most interpreters who go for a second century date of Daniel, seeing the book is really history written down in kind of a pretend uh, prophecy form, 
will go with this. And not everyone does the empires this way, has to feel it's a second century date, but that's very popular with modern interpreters. The second way to view the four world empires is this way. Babylon, one, two, Media Persia. Media and Persia merged at some point. So do you count Media as one and Persia as another one, or do you view them as a unit? And the second way of looking at it, it's Babylon, then Media Persia, which is a second, then third, Greece, and fourth, Rome. Just from church history, I'm going to give you a couple of viewpoints. St. Jerome, who lived between 347 and 420 AD, it's pretty simple. The fourth empire is the Roman Empire, which now occupies the entire world and concerning which it was said concerning the image, the image in Daniel chapter 7. Notice this is present tense. In other words, St. Jerome lived after the day of Antiochus Epiphanes and was living current in the Roman Empire, and he didn't view it historical. He viewed it present in the Roman Empire. Uh, St. Augustine basically follows St. Jerome in interpreting Daniel 7. Hippolytus, who lived even before St. Jerome, about 170 to 235 AD, he says this, that there has risen no other kingdom after that of the Greeks except that which stands sovereign at present is manifest to all. In other words, he's saying this is obvious. It's talking about Rome as that fourth world empire, the fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. Now, one of the things that should be obvious if you've been following us in this study of Daniel is that in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the first king of kings over the secular world empires, also had a dream. He saw a dream of a big statue with four world empires, and the first was the head of gold, then you move down the body, the center section of the body of silver, then the thighs of bronze, and finally the feet of iron. Basically, these were a succession of world empires. Now, in Daniel 7, you have Daniel's dream and vision. You also have four world empires, but now instead of a statue with different types of metals, you have a lion, a bear, a leopard, and then a fourth terrible and dreadful empire with great iron teeth. And what's the difference? In Daniel 7, the empires are recognized as beasts coming up out of the sea. The sea in the Jewish mind was like the abyss, the dark abyss, and it was very often a, a place of turmoil and foreboding. And it's not by accident, if you jump to the book of Revelation, you read in Revelation 13, 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. And Revelation 13.1 is talking about the Antichrist. And what Daniel's seeing is these four beasts 
coming out of the sea. And so there's this wicked fuel from Satan behind these world empires. And the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's dream, it's a dream of the same things. And again, this is just my trying to get inside Nebuchadnezzar's head and Daniel's head. We all have worldviews, and I think it might have been too much for Nebuchadnezzar to see himself as a beast. And so he had a grand head of gold, but God was trying to work within his framework. Daniel, more sensitive to the true king of kings and lord of lords, namely the God of heaven versus these earthly empires, God could show him that these weren't nice things. In Daniel 7 and verse 7, it says this fourth beast, terrible and dreadful and exceedingly strong and had great iron teeth and it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. This is a brutal, brutal, brutal thug. And this chapter really deserves some application. First of all, to Catholic colleges, Catholic schools, those following the classical curriculum and homeschoolers, um, you know, you might see some titles or courses resembling the, the glories that, that was uh, due to Rome or the glories of ancient Greece. And don't get me wrong, Rome and Greece gave us many great things, but at its core, particularly Rome, was an evil, brutal thug, and that's not coming across in education. And why, why do you need to recognize that? Well, because what's going to come at the end of time, there's going to be a, a beast arise from the sea, from the dark places, that will fuel a world empire that will oppose the Christians, but will deceive the world. And if you can't see what went on before, and this is why Daniel, this is now what's called apocalyptic literature. Daniel chapter 7 changes. The first six chapters are a narrative. It's telling the story, recounting it in just narrative form. But Daniel 7, we're in apocryphal literature, which is basically unveiling behind the scenes what you're looking at. Rome wasn't a godly empire. It was nothing to emulate. It was dark. It was brutal. It had metal claws and teeth of iron. This is God's description of the empire. Now, this is something that's kind of hard to deal with and that nobody seems to want to deal with, but I'm just going to state it. The United States of America is an empire. We often avoid using the terms to refer to our beloved United States of America. We prefer terms like superpower or American exceptionalism, but without question, we are a great global empire. We're not only an empire, we're the largest empire and the most powerful empire in the history of the world. We have more bases in foreign lands than any of the other world empires in history, including the four empires we look at in Daniel chapter 7. The U.S. military empire spends about $32 million per hour to preserve our global dominion. Now, if you're like me, hey, I never voted for the U.S. to become an empire. No one did. 
In the aftermath of World War II, every place was decimated. Uh, the British Empire was left in pieces, and the United States was like the last man standing, except for the Soviet Union. We had the Cold War, and that collapsed, so we were left. We buy just the, the events of the 20th century became a great empire on Earth. So what I would suggest just like Catholic schools and colleges and classical curriculum need to be very discerning between the good that comes from Greece and Rome and the power, the brutality, the totalitarian impulse, the expansion of, of lands and wealth. Uh, we need to balance that through discernment. Well, the same thing when you hear on liberal or conservative uh, media. We need a war to protect American interest overseas. That's where we need discernment. Are we really acting like the USA, which we really are, or are we acting as an empire kind of out of control, which is pretty easy to do? Right now, the world is facing off with a threat of another world war. What, well, what's that? Well, there's an empire rising in the east called China, and we're having great difficulties in a number of our, like our financial system is on very shaky ground. And as one empire rises and an aging empire uh, struggles to maintain its power, this is when you have global conflict. All I'm saying, we need discernment and caution regarding our place in the world and how we view as Catholics ancient Rome and ancient Greece. These were not good guys. They were beasts. Make sure we don't become one. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 157 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com.